come and see look on this mystery the Lord of the universe nailed to a tree Christ our God spilling his holy blood bowing in anguish his sacred head sing to Jesus Lord of our shame Lord of our sinful hearts he is our great redeemer sing to Jesus honor his name sing of his faithfulness pouring his life out on to death come his breast Christ who died risen in paradise giver of mercy giver of life sing to Jesus his is the throne now and forever he is the king of heaven sing to Jesus we are his own now and forever i 
his own now and forever sing for the love Come and let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Jesus wants to hear you sing, church. Sing to Jesus. He loves you. Well, let me invite you to turn again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as we look at verse 6 tonight, and again at verse 11, we see that we're to rejoice in the truth and not to rejoice in sin or lies or iniquities. And then we see in verse 11 that we aren't to be deceived like a child, not to be led away or coaxed away, that we are, we are fighting in a war. We have an enemy, it is the devil. Uh, he is roaming around like a lion looking for those whom he may devour. He is not our friend. He is, will never do anything that will help you. Everything that he does will hurt you. Every temptation, as wonderful as it looks or smells or seems in your mind, is always mixed with poison. Don't forget that. He is not anything... in that is going to obviously draw you and make you more Christ-like, he is actually going to, his plan is to do just the very opposite. And so I want to bring to mind to, tonight, and this is really uh, to help you remember, because these are the tactics that he's used over and over and over again. And every time that you and I sin, he's used one of these to either tempt us in our mind, in our will and our emotions and our heart, and we're going to see pretty much three delineations between those two, but as you know, they all overlap. It's hard to break those apart. I'll try to do a little bit of that tonight, but you're going to see that um, it's hard to separate them. Uh, we saw this morning that the Satan is a murderer and a liar at all times from the very beginning and to the very end. He's an angel of light. He's not... Um, some caricature that's in a red suit with horns uh, and a, a pointy tail. That's not the devil, although people try to minimize him. He is one of, the, one of the powerful creations of God, and again, a creation of God. In our flesh, we are absolutely no match for him. But greater is he that's within us, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world who is the devil. So we must depend upon the Lord and the Lord's ways in order to defeat him. And we saw this morning the way we begin to do that is to take, look in your notes, take every thought captive. All of God's word is true, therefore we, we can trust it and we must obey it. We're commanded to tear down lies and replace them with truth. And God's word is powerful and will hold all of us accountable one day. So we saw this morning that the devil's first lie was whatever you do, make sure it makes you happy. And we looked at Eve in the garden and Adam as well, and he appealed to their desires. 
I mean, the thing that God created to enjoy, he subverted or perverted. And that's what the devil does. He'll take something wonderful and offer something good in its place. We saw this morning in Luke and also in Mark that selfishness or selfishly happy, being selfishly happy is an incredibly experience, uh, uh, expensive event, isn't it? We're reminded there in Mark, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? That's expensive, isn't it? So that's the first lie we spent some time on this morning. The second lie, again, is a, is a lot like it, but maybe a little different. But this is how we're tempted. This is his plan. We have his plan book. This doesn't catch us by surprise. We can look throughout all of Scripture and see how he has dealt with other humans and how those that trusted in Christ overcame and how those who did not fought, fail. So the second lie is whatever you do is fine or okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've thought that. This is my life. I can live it. I can do whatever I want to uh, just as long as it doesn't hurt or bother anybody else. Well, whoever told you it didn't hurt or bother anybody else? Did you even ask? How would you even know that? You're, people are, that are following their own way are selfish. They don't really care about other people. Scripture says just the very opposite of that. Notice there in Romans chapter 14. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. God put us in this world to affect other people. Everybody is somebody's son or daughter. Every person that is living has a father and a mother. We are connected. We are a part of the human race. We are not isolated. We are not some monk in some, on some island a thousand miles away from nowhere. We live among one another. Now, as a Christian, we see in verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For this is the end, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So there's a connection there. It's foolish to think that we can live our lives without affecting other people. I've told you the story many times, and my father doesn't mind me telling it because it's in his past and the blood of Christ has covered it, but on Christmas Eve, when I was 14 or 15, it's been so long ago, I don't even remember, he, he told us that he was going to divorce our mother. And as he was telling us that, he said, but boys, I promise you, it won't affect you at all. We believe the lie of the devil. Because there was no way it, it wouldn't. I don't care how much more money he spent on us or how much more time he tried to spend with us. I mean, to separate a child from his mother and his father, it's crazy. It's foolish to think that that child is not going to be affected by it. Now, I'll just tell you, the grace of God entered into my life. 
And I could get to the point where, in a sense, I could thank him for his sin because God used it in a powerful, mighty way in my life to show me halfway how not to be a father and by his word how to be a father. But God still, if he had not asked forgiveness for that, would be holding him accountable for that awful sin and he would spend eternity in hell paying for it. Now, this is a lie of the devil. I want to again show you how, how we literally have an impact on people. As I read through the fruits of the, the lust of the flesh and the fruits of the flesh, I, I want you to ask the question, are we doing these things by ourselves? So Paul writes, by the Holy Spirit, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish verse 19 now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery do you commit adultery by yourself you see this is a foolish notion the answer is absolutely not i mean you think of david's adultery and who all it affected the baby it died uh, Uriah, what happened? I mean, his general, what, what did he do? I mean, look at how that sin affected me. And then the sword never left the house of David. I mean, it just went on and on. and I mean, I could just take time for each one of these. But again, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. What, you just get mad in a closet by yourself? Why, huh? Selfish ambitions, dissensions, what, you just disagreeing with yourself? Heresies, you just teaching yourself the wrong thing? Envy, what, you, you're envying yourself? Doesn't affect anybody else? Murders, what, you're killing yourself? I mean, you see how foolish that line of thinking is, but people have bought it hook, line, and sinker. They're believing that lie of the devil. Drunkenness. I don't know, know very many solitary drunks. Rivalries and the like, of which I tell, tell you beforehand, just as I told you in past times, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's the bad news, but notice the good news. The good news is the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what? You don't do that in a, um, a vacuum either. You're not doing that alone. We all are enjoying each other's fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Well, think about how wonderful that is for you to live that life out and, and have an effect on somebody else. And what a blessing it is to each one of us to see people live that out and direct it towards us. That's what makes church such a sweet place. Self-control against such there is no law. And to kind of wrap a bow around it, we're reminded by Paul as he tells the Corinthian church, don't be misled, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals or good characters. We do have an effect on the people around us. Don't believe that lie of the devil. Now I want you to do an inward spiritual inventory. 
Is there something in your life right now that you're doing where you have heard that lie, you have believed that lie, and therefore you have stepped out and made decisions and put those decisions into actions thinking that what you're doing is not affecting the people around you? And if the answer is yes, you have bought into a lie, you have been deceived, you need to call it sin for what it is, you need to confess it and repent of it and turn to God. But how many people can you, do, you, do you think in this world are living that lie out? And how many people are being affected by that lie? Thirdly, the devil's third lie. Whatever you do, make sure you're living, notice this, your truth. Your truth as opposed to God's truth. I want you to I did a little research on the church of Satan, and I wanted you to see one of their chants that they say to one another. While we, we would be singing hymns of praise to the Lord, this is what they would be saying to one another, Hell to thyself, for I am my own master. <clears throat> I am my own God. I need no shepherd, for I am not a sheep. Pretty arrogant, isn't it? That's their truth. That's what wells up in the heart of every one of us until God regenerates us. I mean, I've literally, in the past years and years ago, some of the church members that I inherited when I became a pastor literally told me, I'm no sheep of anybody. Well, they told me everything I needed to know. They may not have known that they were chanting a, sant- a satanic chant, but just because they didn't know it didn't mean that it wasn't. He said exactly what the Satanist says. In 1969, Anton LaVey published the Satanic Bible. It was an outline of their religious beliefs. The essence of LaVeyism, their brand of Satanism, is captured in these nine Satanic statements. This is what the world teaches. This is what we used to believe. And every time we sin, we call them back into our life. We recall them. See if any of you are believing any of this stuff. Because this is how Satan deceives us, and this is what he has to place in our mind in order for us to jump the hurdle into sin. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams. So what, what, he's, what he's saying there is, now is what we have. We eat, drink, and be merry today. Uh, don't do whatever you want to do now. Don't put off today what you can do because, you know, who cares about the future? And what do we do as Christians? We put aside the temporal, what, to live for the eternal. They just, they just mix it up. And when we sin, we do the same thing. Satan represents undefiled wisdom, again, their truth, instead of hypocritical self-deceit. They say that we're reading the Bible and we're we're the ones that are deceived. And when we disobey God's Word, we have been deceived and we believe that our sin is better 
than what God has to offer. Do you see there's no difference here? Is this the fourth one? Satan represents kindness, notice this, to those who deserve it, instead of love wasted on ingrates. Now what is that? That may not be a word that you use. That's a, that's a thankless wretch, an ungrateful person. So God tells us to help all those that are in need. God tells us to reach out to those who are less fortunate. And they, the Satanist says, well, they have to earn it. They have to be to the standard by which I think that they should receive it. Now, you have to be careful because that will kind of start sliding in to your Christian doctrine if you're not careful. I mean, when did you and I, God demonstrated his own love toward us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we're to be like Christ. Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. You see, when we start moving into that direction, Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for a psychic vampire. And I didn't know what that was, so I had to look it up. And you see that maybe you already knew. Also called an energy vampire. That is a creature in folk- folklore said to feed off the life force of other living creatures. The term can also be used to describe a person who gets increased energy around other people but leaves those other people exhausted or drained of energy. The next one we see that Satan represents man as just another animal who, because of his divine spiritual intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all. We're at the top of the food chain in that sense, so we can do and decide whatever we want to do. But we're animals. We're just stronger and smarter, and that therefore it's just because, in a sense, we've evolved into becoming those things. Satan represents all of the so-called sins, so they all lead to physical, mental, and emotional what? Gratification. That's the end result. And when we're tempted and we believe the devil's lie, it's so that we are gratified. Why? Because we earned it. We deserve it. And we start thinking like a Satanist. And then finally, Satan has been the best friend the Christian church has ever had as he has kept it in business all these years. Taking credit for the bride of Christ. These are the lies of the devil. Whatever you do, just make sure that you're living your truth. What truth are you living? We're reminded there in Proverbs 14, and I quote this week after week after week, there is a way that seems right to a man. There is a truth that seems right to that person, but its end is the way of death. Death mentally, death physically, death eternally. For those who follow that you begin in error, you end in destruction. For the lost person, that's hell. For the saved person that believes the lies of the devil, then their sanctification is, 
is uh, they're, they're, um, they're not growing, they're not maturing, they're not being strengthened. Uh, they're going the other way. They're, they're in detention in a sense. They're not moving to the next grade. One writer put it this way. This is how, quote, your truth, our truth, leads and guides us. I don't love my wife anymore, but I love my secretary. I need to be true to myself. That's living his truth. What about this one? I was, I was born a man, but I feel like a woman. I must live my truth. What about this one? I would spend more time with my kids, but I get so much more fulfillment by being successful at work. I need to be true to myself and do the thing that I enjoy the most. Do you see how that takes you? You choose the good over the best. I really should get a job, but work is so boring. I think I'll just hang out at the pool. I need to be true to myself. I mean, you can think of these scenarios over and over and over again. I know I promised to help you, and at the time I really meant it, but I just don't feel like doing it anymore. I just have to be true to myself. I've just changed my mind. Living my truth. These are choices that we have to make. These are warnings that God is giving us to look out on the decision-making opportunities that we have in the future and not be deceived and not be distracted. Jesus told us there was a choice. Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. There are choices. There's a broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate for broad, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are what? Many, many who go in by it. He follows up and says, because narrow is a, great, a, a gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. What is, what is a few? If I gave you $10, 10 $1 bills, and I said, well, would you mind giving me a few back? How many would you give me? Five? No, you wouldn't give me five. That's a half. Three? You may think that's more than a few. Two, I'm not trying to settle on a number, but I'm trying to see that there are many on the road to destruction and few on the road that leads to life. Luke 13, Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Well, so remember Colossians 1.9 that we strive with the energy that God has provided for us? So yes, we have to strive. Yes, there's something that we, we have to do. But the doing and the striving comes from the energy of the Holy Spirit that resides within us. So rather than looking at this as something of, uh, uh, as a bad thing, no, this is a wonderful thing. When we see a verse that commands us to do something and we can't do it in our own strength, that means that the Lord is going to be working within us. We're going to be able to experience God in our life. Therefore, so why would we do just the things that we could do, 
Because when we do the things that we can do, we do it in our own strength. When God calls us to do supernatural things and to say no to those things is saying, no, I don't want to experience the energy that is going to come from the Holy Spirit of God and the direction that's going to come from His Word. I thanks, but no thanks. And so most Christians just sit in the pew for 50 years. We don't want to be those types of Christians. Yes, we strive, but not with our own energy, but with the energy, the power that God has put within us. And then we're reminded in Romans 6, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? He's talking about sin. What was the fruit of that? Well, you just can't believe how drunk I got. You can't believe how sick I got. You just can't believe when I got in that fight how many people I hurt. Man, they ended up worse than I did. I mean, all that bragging. and what, what kind of fruit is that? I mean, one day you're going to grow up. I mean, maybe you did that in your 20s. Hopefully it was not your 30s. And by the time you turn 50 or 60, the point is you're going to be ashamed of that. The very thing you bragged about is the very thing that's going to bring shame in our lives. And if we don't come to know Christ, notice what else this is for the end of those things is death. It's death. Galatians 6, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Again, what are we? The Bible says that we're just a vapor. We've been made from dust and we go back to dust. But God has determined that there are some that He will fill and He will guard and protect and provide for and take to heaven one day. But that has nothing to do with us. That's why this is a monergistic, a singular work of God so that He gets all the glory and honor and credit because we are nothing. And, but God within us, then we do mighty things. Ephesians 5, then therefore let no one deceive you with empty words. The devil, every one of his word is empty. False teachers, their words are empty. For because of these things, these empty talkers, the devil included in every false prophet and every pastor that, that should not be in, the, in a Christian pulpit this day, and all false teachers, notice this, these things, the wrath of God comes upon the Son's of disobedience. Therefore, Christian, don't be a, a um, but be doers of God's word and not hearers only. If you hear it and don't do it, you have deceived yourself. Your truth, our, our truth leads to destruction. Our truth leads to the satanic Bible. Jesus said he was the truth. We need his truth. We need to set aside our truth and adopt his truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. His truth, his word. I quoted it this morning. I called it the anchor. I hope you made the, were able to make the connection between the song that David was singing and Jesus Christ. The word of God is not the fourth person of the Trinity, it is just the expression of the Trinity. It's the Word of God. Notice in the beginning was the Word. Capital W. It's not talking about just 
jots and tittles. It's ta- this is talking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the capital W, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's not the fourth part of the Trinity or fourth person of the Trinity. It is the Trinity. It is of God the Father. It is of God the Son. And it was given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to every writer that we, that we have a record of in the Bible that sits in your lap this evening. And the Word, the eternal Word, became flesh. What's he talking about? This is Jesus. And dwelt among us, and we beheld, capital H, His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and underline it. Full of what? Truth. As I said this morning, there's no one else other than the Godhead and, and, and His Word that is full and complete and the sum of their living and the sum of their being is truth. Because of the fall, everybody and everything else has a mixture of it. Some more truth than others. But it's still a mixture on your, on your best day. You never have a pure thought throughout the whole day. But Jesus did. God does. The Holy Spirit does. You pick up this word, it does. So can't we make the determination today that if we're going to depend on anything, the last thing we would depend on is ourself, and the best thing that we would depend on would be the Trinity and the Word of the Trinity? I mean, just think if you will make that decision and start living that out, the difference, the consistent difference that would make in your life, or you can just go home and say, that was nice. Boy, he said some things that really made me think. I'm not here to make you think. God's not sharing this to make you just think. He says to be a doers of the word, not just a thinker or a hearer only. If you are, you have deceived yourself. And he says, know the truth, know Jesus, and if we do, he'll set us free. It's exactly what we see in in the book of John. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, the truth being Jesus Christ, the truth being the things that Jesus said, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Let me give you just a real quick list. And, And this just came kind of at the top of my head as I was writing this out. There's probably 10 other things. If you find more, let me know. I'd re- I'll rejoice with you because I, I like to be free of things. First of all, you're free from sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're free from the punishment of sin. You don't ever have to worry about going to hell again. You're free from the condemnation of sin. Therefore, there's ne- therefore now no condemnation to those who love the Lord. You're free from slavery. You, you and I, the best we used to could do was to sin. It was, it was what we like to do. It was what we look forward to do. It was what we planned to do. But now as Christians, we're a slave to a different master. We're free from the flesh. There's no temptation that has taken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful and He will give you a way to overcome that temptation. So you don't have to sin anymore. We're, flee, we're free from the flesh or ourselves, And we're free in Christ. Not free from Christ. We're free in Christ. And as we end tonight, we're going to end with Matthew. I think that's a fitting place. We can catch up with the other later on as we prepare for the Lord's table. As Paul Harvey said, this is the rest of the story. 
This is what happens to the person who heeds God's truth or the one that heeds their truth and the devil's truth. The one that turns to God or the one that turns to self. Jesus says, therefore, everyone hearing these saying of mine and does them, again, this is God's truth, and you're doing God's truth, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What is the rock? Well, the rock is God. The rock is Jesus Christ. The rock is God's word. We're building our house on the rock. And he says, and the rain descended because rains are going to come. And the floods came, and the floods were going to come. And the winds blew and beat on that house. Because everybody that's living is going to experience those things. Everybody, everybody in this room has experienced rain and a flood and, and winds. Some of you, may, I know, in, in our church have been in tornadoes and lost half their house. But this house that was built on the rock, on Jesus Christ, what does it say? I circled it in my notes. It did not fall. That's the rest of the story. It did not fall, for it was what? Founded. Its foundation was on the rock. God's word, God's truth, God himself. Trusting in God. You have two choices to build a house on God's rock or on your sinking sand. And that's what we see. It doesn't finish. That's just part of the story. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, and you've heard them tonight. This is what you've heard this evening. If you're here this morning, you heard it this morning. You've been in church before, you've heard it before. Hopefully from a faithful pastor that told you the truth. Sunday school classes, you read your Bible. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and what? And does not do them. So the first group did. The tragedies of life came and the house stood. It was built on the rock. Here's, here's the second person who heard the exact same thing and did not take heed to it. It was just something good that they heard on Easter and came back at Christmas and maybe a few other times in between, but just didn't mean anything to them. We'll be like the foolish man, like a foolish man, built his house on the sand. See, the rock may not have been really in a beautiful location where the sand may have been right on the beach. Oh, right where the waves are. Wake up every morning, cup of coffee, could just see the waves come in. A hundred reasons maybe to build on the beach. One reason to build on the rock. I mean, you can just apply this. You just think about this in your own life. Think about the times you built on the sand and how it turned out. Think about the times you've built on the rock and how that turned out. We've got experience. The Word of God is true. And yet we've got experience on how we've lived it. This foolish man built his house on the sand and the rain descended the same rain. It doesn't indicate this is a different part of town. This is the same type of situation. Floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. It fell. And notice that it just didn't fall down. There's emphasis here. 
Jesus wanted to emphasize. He didn't just say, well, it just fell. It just... So one stood and one fell. No, no, no. He said one stood because it was on the rock. And he said the other one fell. And how did he describe it? And great was its fall. Great. Have you ever seen the, when a flood comes through and some of those people that have built their houses kind of too close to the river? Maybe the house has been there for 30 years. And all of a sudden that flood comes. And it starts eroding that, the bank of that river. And it erodes some more and a little bit more. And have you ever seen one of those five or six or 10,000 square foot houses just tumble? Just fall? That, That's the picture here. And that picture is not just a, a, a literal stick and mortar house. He's just he's talking about your life. That you're in the house. This is what you've accumulated. This is everything that you are. Your house is a picture of you. If you build on Jesus Christ, it will stand no matter what comes. But if you do not build on Jesus Christ, it is just a matter of time before that flood comes and takes it completely away and you as well. And the thought is, is that you don't go to heaven You go down with your house, and your house just becomes broken pieces of memories, but you go to hell forever. Verse 28, and so it was. When Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teachings. They should be. Well, he's God. We should be as well. Are you astonished? Or you got your spiritual fingers in your ears saying, na, 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 na. If I could just get out of here. Yeah, you can run out of here. But you will never forget what you've heard tonight. Why? Because it's God that has spoken to us. Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them what? As one as having authority. Yeah, authority. Let there be light authority. That kind of authority. Set the stars in motion. Spun the earth on its axis. Created the oceans and said, this far you shall go and no further. That kind of authority, but not as the scribes. Do you see how he just separates the wise religious teachers of the day that had bought into the lie of the devil and he magnifies and glorifies who he is as one with authority, full authority? An authority that has no end. To think that He spoke the universe is in in existence, it was done by a word. Please don't think that that was the most that He could have done. There is no most or the greatest with God. That's what's going to be wonderful about heaven. We know more about Him as much as we can know about Him in the Word, and yet in the Word you will not master all of it. And yet when we get to heaven, 
he will be consistent with everything that we've read, but the reason you will never be bored in heaven is because he is an eternal being. There will be things that he will teach us and show us and let us experience that we can't even fathom, and they will go on for all of eternity. There will never be a boring day in heaven. And there will be no peace in hell and no comfort there. An eternity of regret. You've heard the truth. An eternity of knowing that you, you lived your truth and you did it your way. And now you're with the deceiver and the murderer and the liar in the lake of fire forever and ever. And there is no getting out. So this evening, we're going to participate in the table of the Lord. For the Christians, we celebrate it. This signifies the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must prepare ourselves to partake of it. Because you cannot have a cherished sin and partake of this table. You can't be continually doing the very thing that Christ died for and think it's okay to do this. So we have to take some time and, and evaluate ourselves. And I pray that we've all been evaluating ourselves as we've, we've listened to God's Word. And, and I've been doing it all week. And now again, as I open it and teach it and preach it to you. And we'll give you that time. But the gospel message goes out. The same blood that He spilt for every Christian if he's drawing you to himself, if he's dragging you to himself this evening, he will apply that same grace and he'll give you the faith and he will bless you with, with as he demonstrated his own love toward us, he demonstrated his own love toward you because he died for you in the midst of that. And if you believe that he died on Calvary to pay for pay for your sin debt that you will never completely pay for in hell for all of eternity, then you ask him to forgive you. You tell him that you want his truth, that you want to follow him. The Bible says any man that, or any woman, boy or girl that calls upon the name of the Lord, believing that, trusting that, his death, his burial, and his resurrection made full payment of your sin that you've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest anyone ever boast. And you call upon his name this evening. You ask him to save your soul. And he will. And you can take the communion of the Lord with us this evening. So let's go before our Lord. Bow our heads. And allow him to do an inventory of our life. As he's been doing it all along this evening as well.